Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. Joined by United States Senator Tom Cotton. Good morning, Senator. Great to have you back. Good morning, Hugh. Good to be back with you. I had Admiral Stavridis on last hour, and we were talking about Taiwan. Taiwan was on the cover of The Economist um, on May 1, called The Most Dangerous Place in the World. And I've been asking people, I asked Jonah Goldberg yesterday, it's posted over at the interview with Hugh Hewitt, what would the United States do if the People's Liberation Army launched ships at Taiwan, or even worse, airplanes full of paratroops? And the admiral corrected me, said, no, they've got cadres on the island, they would seize the airports, and the PLA would just land there. What would we do, Senator Cotton? What would you advise the president to do if that operation actually began to unfold? Well, Hugh, the answer is very simple. What we should do is come to Taiwan's aid, and to be even more specific, we should tell China now that we'll come to Taiwan's aid. The best way to deter that scenario is to make it crystal clear to Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party that we will not tolerate um, an invasion and forced annexation of Taiwan to mainland China. Uh, you know, for decades, Hugh, as you know, our policy was one of so-called strategic ambiguity. We weren't clear what we would do, but circumstances have changed. Back then, the People's Liberation Army probably wasn't capable of executing that operation, and Taiwan was not yet a full democracy. Today, however, I think most observers agree the PLA could execute an invasion, um, and Taiwan is a very vibrant democracy. So I think it's best that we be very clear about our strategic intentions here as a way to preserve the peace across this Taiwan Strait. Now, I believe it was Dean Acheson who left there uh, an, uh, too much ambiguity with regards to the Korean Peninsula, and Stalin misjudged it. I believe it was Acheson. So when the admiral said to me, that if, in fact, they executed the quick strike, airplanes landing at Taiwan airports or airfields and maybe paratroopers and, and special forces, that the United States should not shoot down those planes with F-22s based in Japan. I was a little bit surprised. Should we, if that were to unfold, that's the wrap, that's the, that's the least amount of time that's decide within an hour sort of stuff. Should we shoot down their transports? We should take whatever steps are necessary to preserve the status quo across the Taiwan Strait and the autonomy of Taiwan. It would be a disaster of historic proportions to stand by while the Chinese Communist Party annexed Taiwan, not just a critical island outpost that allows China to project power around the world, not just uh, a commitment the United States is widely perceived to have made for decades, but also the world's single largest producer of semiconductors, essential in a modern economy. To let China simply take Taiwan while standing idly by would be a disaster of historic proportions. That's why we should be crystal clear up front that we will not tolerate it, and we should be engaged in a crash armament uh, course with Taiwan to ensure they have what they need to forestall that invasion for as long as possible, should Xi Jinping decide to go for the jugular. 
Now, the admiral said, we've got a mutual defense treaty with Japan. We don't have one with Taiwan. And uh, that would have to precede our actually getting involved, or he recommended it. Should we execute that treaty, Senator? We do have that defense treaty with Japan. We have never had a treaty with Taiwan. We have committed uh, only to ensuring Taiwanese autonomy and to preserving the, the peaceful status quo so there cannot be any forcible annexation of Taiwan to the mainland. So I think more important than a formal treaty is a clear commitment uh, to what has always been U.S. policy, to make that commitment up front. Therefore, China knows exactly what it's bargaining for if Xi Jinping ever decides to try to invade Taiwan. Now, would the, um, would the occupation of Taiwan or the takeover of Taiwan be reversible? In other words, if, if um, doves say, don't worry, we'll talk them out of it later, we have sanctions, we can crush China's economy— my theory is if they ever take the out, they'll never give it back. That's It's just done. It'll be like Crimea under Obama. It's never coming back. What do you think? Uh, generally, when dictators seize territory, especially <laughs> territory uh, of which their nation has had irredentist claims for decades, they don't go sit down at the United Nations and talk it out and then decide, okay, you guys were right. We shouldn't have done that in the first place. So, no, if... Uh, the Chinese Communist Party seizes Taiwan. I think that's the end of Taiwan, Taiwanese autonomy. Um, and it's a, a huge, huge victory of historic proportion for the Chinese Communist Party, something that we cannot allow to happen. Why does it represent such a strategic uh, gain for the People's Republic of China and the Chinese Communist Party and such a loss for the West? There's a few reasons, Hugh. Uh, first is that uh, we are seen as the guarantor of the peaceful status quo across the Taiwanese Strait. And if we were to stand by while the Chinese Communist Party annexed Taiwan, it would cause grave concern for all of our allies, to include treaty allies like Japan or NATO allies around the world, who would begin to make their own accommodations with China or with Russia or with Iran or so forth. Second, Taiwan sits in the middle of the so-called first island chain. You think about Japan, Taiwan, the Philippines, uh, things that keep China's Navy largely bottled up or give us strategic choke points uh, should there ever be military conflict. If they take, take Taiwan, they can easily project naval power into the Pacific and therefore around the world. And as I said, Taiwan produces more than four out of every five advanced semiconductors in the world. Look at how many American jobs are being lost or at least furloughed right now because of a shortage of semiconductors. To let the Chinese Communist Party seize that manufacturing capacity would give them a chokehold on the American economy and American jobs. Much like when Germany remilitarized the Rhineland and seized so much fertile ter industrial territory. So, so, Senator, I've never been to Taiwan. I have no idea. I, I don't even have a picture in my mind. Maybe I should go and broadcast there for a week or something like that and tour around and see. But do the, do the Taiwanese, the Republic of Taiwan, have capacity for self-defense for the first wave? Do, can they take the airports back if Cadre sees it? Do they have intelligence services? Have they got submarines? Well, I mean, I think it in the end, Hugh, common sense just says that an island of 25 million people is not going to be able to permanently fight off uh, the People's Liberation Army with 1.3 billion people behind it. The important, uh, the most important part of the defense of Taiwan, though, is adding hours and then adding days to the amount of time it would take the PLA to pacify the island. Now, Admiral Stab is right that uh, the Chinese communists have the island infiltrated. 
it would not look like the D-Day invasion from the very beginning. It would look more like probably Crimea. There would be subterfuge, deception, agent provocateurs, creating provocations to allow further military attacks. So it would be in the gray zone of conflict initially. Taiwan has the ability to a degree to resist that, to try to fight back. They can slow down the invasion uh, to some extent. They're probably better at that than they were five or 10 years ago because of the arms sales to Taiwan over the last four years. However, we need to accelerate that. We need to work with them closely to make sure that their cyber defenses are hardened, that their defenses against those kind of Chinese agents uh, are improved. And ultimately, like I said, they can add time in hours and then in days to the length of time it would take the PLA to pacify the island. That allows the cavalry to arrive. Now, Senator, the, um, the, the Chinese are objecting the Chinese communists are objecting loudly to the visit by three senators that is planned to Taiwan. I don't know who the senators are. Maybe it's you. And uh, that that objection tells me 100 senators should go there. Do you know who's going and why? I don't. I'm glad they are going. Um, I'll find out who they are today now that I'm aware of it. But look, I mean, Hugh, I, I've been to Taiwan. I think China objected to it then. Taiwan uh, frequently hosts senators, members of Congress. They host delegations uh, from state legislatures as well. They host governors. They host uh, business leaders. They do all of that because the United States government executive branch officials tend not to send uh, personnel to the island because of the longstanding understandings about the relationship between mainland China uh, and Taiwan. But it's a longstanding practice for legislators, both uh, in the United States Congress and state legislatures, to travel to Taiwan. I think they even host members of the media, so you should go to you. I should. My very last question on this, given the rapidity and frequency of the uh, Chinese incursions, the People's Liberation Army Air Force is encouraging, uh, entering into Taiwan airspace almost daily now. Uh, that changes the facts on the ground. It's sort of dress rehearsal for what may be coming. Ought we to have regularly rotating American troops going into Taiwan for a little? I mean, you can call it training. You don't have to call it basing. You can just have them there and move them on like we used to do with Poland. Now they're permanently there, I think. We got a minute. What do you think the, the, the Pentagon should be doing in this regard? Hugh, I've long said that we should have uniformed officers to include flag officers, generals and admirals visiting Taiwan. Um, that's something that administrations of both parties have refrained from doing. I think it's wholly appropriate. Um, it's consistent with our understandings with both uh, the Chinese Communist Party on mainland China and with Taiwan's government. Um, you could reduce or lower that down the ranks as well to have more broad-based personnel in and out. Look, we have American personnel at the American Institute, uh, which is kind of our quasi-embassy in Taipei. Um, as you say, the incursions that the uh, PLA Air Force makes in the Taiwanese airspace is a way to reduce warning time and make, sure, and make it harder for us to anticipate, for Taiwan to anticipate, if China is going for the jugular. Senator Cotton, always bracing. Thank you, Senator. I'll be right back. America, stay tuned. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership program offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Jerry Boyer of Town Hall Finance for townhall.com. I argued earlier this year that inflation was on the near horizon, while the Fed and its enablers in the press were in denial. It's not about who is the smartest, it's about fixed principles of economics. 
Too much money chasing too few goods causes inflation. Our central bank is enabling colossally high spending and borrowing levels by creating new money supply. This didn't start with Biden, but it has certainly reached new orders of magnitude with him. The last report shows that inflation ran at over 4% over the past year, well over the historic average. That includes a brief bout of deflation during the worst of the shutdown. So if we look at year to date, we see that on a monthly basis, inflation has been accelerating rapidly. There's only one remedy. Government needs to cut spending and the Fed needs to stop printing. Nothing else, price controls, scapegoating business, etc., will work. Stop printing money. I'm Jerry Boyer. The Pepperdine School of Public Policy, America's unique graduate program for leaders. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu.